McLean. Get Coach's Corner. You're listening to the Rugby Coach's Corner podcast with your host, Andy Plymer. For someone to explain. Bringing you up-to-date coaching concepts from the world of rugby. Sharing ideas to make the game better. All right, welcome to episode number 47 of the Rugby Coaches Corner podcast. I'm your host, Andy Plymer, and joining me today is Will Webster. Will is the assistant coach for the Kenya Sevens team on the HSBC World Series and just finished his first year with the group. Will went to Kenya in 2014 as director of sport at Kenton College Preparatory School, coached several clubs in Kenya's top flight league as a skills coach, defense coach, and then as a head coach. His playing career involves stints at US Oyana in France and Western Province Institute of Rugby in South Africa. And he was also a member of the Exeter Chiefs Academy. It's a pleasure to have him on the show. So welcome, Will. Hi, Andy. How are you doing? It's, uh, yeah, uh, really flattered to, to be invited on here and hopefully I'll offer a little bit of, uh, a little bit of content as well. Yeah, no worries. No, it's uh, good to have you on. And uh, this is actually round two. We uh, had some technical issues. So I want to thank you again for, for doing a re-record <laughs> and coming back on. No, pleasure. Pleasure. All right, sweet. So we touched on your, your coaching and playing uh, career briefly there in the intro. Can you go into a bit more detail about um, you know, probably your playing history and then uh, how, how that transitioned into coaching? Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, I mean, I've, I've just turned 27, so it's not, a, it's not a particularly extensive journey so far and uh, it won't take me too long. But I, um, as you said, sort of was fortunate enough to play in France and then South Africa and was... A pretty average player, I think it would be fair to say, but absolutely loved the game, loved uh, working hard, loved mm. um, sort of the process that went into into getting fit and, and getting ready to play, and really, really enjoyed that. And I think um, as a probably as a player without any great physical advantages, I wasn't I wasn't quick, I wasn't um, I wasn't strong, I wasn't particularly fast. It was this my understanding of the game that probably meant more or something that I had to do to, um, to, to catch up with the rest. So really enjoyed playing. And I think, um, so that aspect and the process of working hard, I've tried to take into my coaching. Um, so during, during my career, I, I spent a bit of time in, in South Africa and France, as I said, and then, uh, was fortunate enough to end up at Birmingham Solihull Bees for, for a couple of years in the, in the championship, which is, the second tier of, of English rugby. And there I was coached by Russell Earnshaw, who I know has been on the podcast. Yeah, and for sure. It was assistant coach at England Sevens at the time. And, and that was a real, uh, I, I guess, lucky position to be in because you know, although he's a, he's a great guy and a, a brilliant coach, he's, he's a bit of a maverick. And um, I suppose made me look at rugby in a, in a slightly different way. And, mm. Because he was coached there, he brought a few of the England Sevens players up there as well. So I played with those guys and, and spent a bit of, you know, love chatting to them about Sevens and, and about how sort of different and unique the, the Sevens world is compared yeah. to the Fifths world. Um, but after after a couple of years there and after graduating from university, I was I wanted to move closer to home, which is uh, down, in, down in the southwest of England and... Um, was you know, the dream was always to play for Exeter Chiefs and uh, they were sort of my home club and, and had done brilliantly in coming up from the championship and, and getting promotion into the top league. And I spoke to Rob Baxter there who 
suggested that Plymouth Albion, who again were in the second tier of English rugby, was the way forward. So I was I was all, all set to, to go down there and play and went out to Kenya to actually visit family and do a bit of charity work and um, came back and, and suffered from a from a virus uh, called Bilharzi, which cut a very long story short, meant I was out the game for a year. Um, oh, and which looking back was just an absolute blessing in disguise because it was, I spent a really a year coaching and um, sort of got involved with my old school, uh, Kings Taunton and coached the first 15 there and then went out to Central America and, and spent some time coaching out there and, and just, just loved it. Um, I, I never thought that coaching the game would be as, you know, give me as much as, um, playing the game did, but really, really enjoyed. And I think that was probably the time where I thought whenever playing finishes, um, coaching is the route I want to go down. Um, but came to, after missing a year, I, I started playing again and was playing at, uh, at Taunton Titans, who are now in the, uh, they're in the national two division. Yeah. So basically in the fourth, fourth tier of English rugby. And then also with the Exeter Chiefs Academy and, and that was my last year playing the game. But looking back now, it was uh, a real, um, it's, it's hugely advantageous to playing in those two clubs because they were, they're first, firstly, extremely well-run clubs. I was open to some fantastic coaches and obviously, particularly in the, there's pretty well publicised Bex and the Chiefs now have, have gone from strength to strength. And I mm. think experiencing that in my last year of coaching with, Sorry, my last year of playing with coaching at the forefront of my mind was was um, you know I was very fortunate to do so. So that year I I did a PGCE and uh, went out to Kenya and um, I guess went out to Kenya to hopefully put myself in a position to get experiences that I perhaps wouldn't get in England and mm-hmm. and initially went out there and as you said sort of coached a number of different clubs and and tried to clock up as many coaching hours as I possibly could and did a number of different roles and, and absolutely loved it. Um, and that sort of led me to the position I'm in now with the, with the sevens team. And, um, yeah, it's been a, I guess a fairly short journey, but, um, I'm in a you know, fortunate position now. And I think it's, it's just something I'm trying to make the most of really, really enjoying it. And, uh, yeah, hopefully, if I'm if I'm good enough, I'll I'll make it, and if if not, I won't. So uh, yeah, yeah, cool. That's awesome. It uh, sounds like a good good variety of uh, experiences, both as a player and a coach. And you know, Kenya must be must be quite the quite the uh, rugby landscape uh, compared to anywhere else in the world. What, what what's a for those who don't know the Kenyan rugby landscape? What's a bit of a a description of it? Is it mostly based out of Nairobi, or are there a few few teams elsewhere? Yeah, it's it's uh it's different. It's um it's probably quite unique, but it's mostly based out of Nairobi. Um, the majority of the top level clubs are are in the, or around Nairobi, which is a bit unusual because I think the majority of the players are actually originate from Western Kenya mm-hmm. uh, to come into Nairobi and either purely for rugby or for work. Um, but I think it's. It's an interesting, uh, it's an interesting structure. It's it's very little uh, is played in schools, particularly in junior school. Um, it's the, the structure in senior schools is very loose unless you go to one of the 
the big, more established uh, senior schools. And I think that lack of a structured program is, it's probably the undoing of Kenya in terms of their 15s program. Um, but really the first time players will come into contact with, with good structured coaching is uh, probably under 16 or under, under 18 level. Um, there's very, very little age grade rugby at all in clubs. Uh, so wow. players that come through the sort of school system are you know, playing at lunch breaks or, or playing in their free time in, in very unstructured environments. And, um, but then when they get to, when they get into the club scene, there's, there's uh, a number of different leagues There's a, there's a women's league, there's a university league. Um, and I think the, the, the Kenyan club system is, Again, quite unique in terms that it's it's played pretty much all year round. The, the calendar right. doesn't have an off season, so <laughs> pretty brutal. Yeah. Oh, geez, I, I wouldn't be able to cope with it. But um, I mean, players players start in sort of September in terms of the fifteens league. The fifteens league will finish in about May time, and within that, there's a few tens competitions and a few sevens competitions thrown in there. They then go into a cup competition that lasts until probably the end of June. And then maybe a couple of weeks off in July, if you're not playing sevens, but if you are playing sevens, then July spent priming the teams ready for the uh, for this, for the local seven circuit, which goes on August and September. And then obviously this, the same again next year. So I think um, so coming into that, you, you look at it as a bit of a negative in terms of there's, there's no pre-season and... Um, and no real time to for the for the players to get those physical gains and, and spend time on on the the core aspects of rugby. But I, at the same time, that what that does do is it makes the players extremely durable. They're uh, they're hard guys, and um, and I, I don't you know don't want to generalise Kenya rugby all as all as one. But I think the biggest thing I've seen coming in is that 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 lack of early years coaching particularly as they're growing up and and what i'm used to in the uk all the way from sort of under nines up to under 15s those really important years they miss out on particularly in the coaching so i think you you can probably see that in many respects in terms of uh the the, the core skills and the the game understanding um and to be honest probably the coachability of a lot of the players because they're not used to being coached, um, they it took me a bit of sort of time to pinpoint the issue, but I think their the ability to give feedback and uh, players' ability to sort of subconsciously take on that feedback during coaching sessions uh, mm. is a little bit is a little bit backwards. But um, no, certainly you you look at the scene in Kenya, and they're as I said, extremely durable, extremely physical. Um, you know, very strong, very hard guys, and they're they're players because of their background. They've got a very good natural fitness level, and I think it's just about trying to the, the challenge is to try and transfer that into a into rugby specific fitness. Um, but it's uh, it's been an eye opener. Really, really enjoyed seeing it, and uh, I think you know the, the lack of structure is one thing, but the fact that they're still competing on the world series and, and have done for uh, any number of years is, you know, is a, is a testament to the, to the players they're producing. 
Yeah, I agree. I agree, and yeah, they, I love watching them too. They're they're uh, they're just totally different to anything you've ever seen. Uh, so they, it's it's great to, great to have them on that that tour. I think it's awesome. Um, last time we chatted, you mentioned um, you mentioned that you know along with the the limited amount of coaching that they've had, that they actually exposed to a fairly limited amount of sports, uh, and that that affects you know all things. From, from basic skills, transferable skills to decision making and those kind of things. You you mentioned some stuff you do uh, in terms of trying to trying to upskill the group. Uh, do you want to talk about that again? Yeah, sure. I think again, I think because you're a lot of uh, schools, a lot of clubs in Kenya are limited in terms of their uh, their equipment, in terms of their coaching. What you're generally dealing with is is coaching sessions or lessons that have a huge amount of children in there or mm-hmm. uh, young players in, in the sessions, but without the equipment. And therefore, a lot of the sessions will be, if they're rugby sessions, they will be 15 on 15 or, or large number versus large number rugby sessions. But what they don't have is is structured um, you know, crossover sports. They don't do much cricket. They don't do baseball they don't do tennis whatever it might be and I think whilst you sort of take for granted certainly my experience in English schools children know how to catch a tennis ball children know how to bounce a basketball they know how to spike a volleyball or whatever it may be Mm. it's there isn't there isn't that uh, knowledge in Kenya just because of the experience they've had so I think in terms of the skill sessions we do even now with the with the senior sevens team we do a lot of uh, crossover sports, so it might be that we, we get involved with basketballs or volleyballs or tennis balls or just incorporate a number of different balls into fairly simple skilled sessions, but sessions that expose the players to different different balls or different games or um, you know, 360 degree games, that sort of thing. So that's been a, that's been a challenge, and um, but I think with, with that, the positives of of doing those sort of games and incorporating that into skill sessions is you can have a lot of fun and, and players really enjoy doing it. Um, uh, some of the more amusing sessions we've had have involved uh, a cricket bat or uh, a tennis net and players really enjoy it. And I think if you've got that end goal of just trying to, I suppose, open players' eyes to different sports and, and um, open their skill sets to, to different challenges, then you've got that but it, it was certainly something that I probably overlooked in terms of going in and, and getting involved in clubs um, but it, it's, it's a real challenge and I think those core skills if they can replicate that with, with smaller balls or under pressure of uh, multiple shape balls or whatever it might be if they can do that in skill sessions then handling a rugby ball obviously is becomes a lot more straightforward yeah I, I agree like a I, and I've definitely been guilty of overlooking it myself too. And it wasn't it wasn't until um, Richard Cheatham came onto the podcast that I, I started thinking about it. And he he actually mentioned that in a warm up, uh, there's you know several hundred hours uh, of contact time that you have with the athletes. That if you're just phoning that warm up in and doing the same thing by rote every 15 minutes at the beginning of every session. You're missing out on a huge amount of opportunities for for skill development and decision making. Um, so yeah, I, I have a great time like making up games and stealing games and stuff like that. And definitely the athletes enjoy it too. 
No, I totally agree. And I think even now, we will be in whichever tournament it is. And in, in the morning, the, the strength and conditioning coach normally likes to take the boys out for a bit of a, a bit of a primer, I suppose many people sort of call it, or a warm-up. But we'll, mm. we'll always go out with a, with a tennis ball and a tennis racket and, and play a few games that <laughs> boys really enjoy. It takes the pressure off. It takes puts smiles on faces. But I think, again, it, it's really, really important to, to get the players as many, as you said, get them involved as much as you possibly can and really sort of utilise even the sort of the downtimes that you have with players and not putting it into a club perspective, whether it's a bus journey or it's um, at a hotel overnight. I think you can really use that time to to have fun, create a bit of a team culture and a, put smiles on faces. But actually what you're getting out of it is really useful skills, hand-eye coordination or whatever it may be. Yeah, I agree. Okay, so a lot of your earlier coaching was in the the fifteens uh, part of the game, and now you're you're fully into the sevens coaching aspect. How's that transition going from one to the other? Was it challenging, or was it more that you you've always been a fan of the game, so it was a bit simpler, and just you had to make some adaptations? Yeah, I, I guess a bit of both. I uh, I played a bit of sevens when I was when I was still playing and. Coached a bit of sevens on the sort of club circuit, as it were, when I when I first got out to Kenya. But there there are certain aspects of sevens that you can't get away from. It's a you know, it's obviously a really unique game, and um, some of the statistics are very very different to fifteens in terms of the kilometres players travel in fourteen minutes, and they're they're covering one hundred and twenty minutes a minute, and um, sorry, 100, 120 meters per minute, and you know, heart rate is in that top 10% for pretty much the entire time they're playing. And probably my uh, delivering of sessions and my session planning had to change because mm-hmm. although the strength conditioners all uh, look after many aspects of the of the physical training, you've got to still got to replicate what you're doing in training to a to a game. So it's we probably trained for a shorter amount of time and, and pack in a little bit more into that session or certainly drive the players a little bit um, a little bit harder than what they might have been used to in the 15s. Um, yeah, so the, the intensity of, of sessions has certainly gone up and we try and get more uh, high-speed training within those sessions. We try and include a number of different multi-involvements for players. So what we don't do a lot of is purely attack or purely handling but mm. um try and involve a bit of ruck a bit of defense a bit of attack because the the transitions are, are so quick in the game of sevens and probably something that we've really tried to incorporate as a coaching team myself and the, and the head coach is in, increasing the player's ability and their comfort in in trans transitioning from defense into attack or or vice versa and i think those first few seconds after a turnover in, in sevens is is massive. Mm. So whether that's the you lose the ball and you're trying to shut down the space or or get a ruck so you can have some sort of organisation, or whether it's getting off the floor to get into support or moving the ball away from the moving the ball away from the transition zone, that's something that we try and incorporate a lot into into our training and. Um, and then you've, you know, there's a, there's a few differences between coaching 15s and 
seven so the ruck and the breakdown looks a little bit different and I guess it's uh, it's going to probably look a lot more different with the new laws coming in but the breakdown in terms of my coaching I suppose where in 15s you're trying to you're trying to coach players to blast past the ball and, and take out players and, and have a lot of ruck in sevens what you're trying to do is trying to get them to clear the threat but then lock into the rucks you're only committing one player in that breakdown and that's slightly unique to sevens and yeah. I suppose aerial skills and with the restart being so important in sevens we spend a lot of time on our aerial skills and I think probably one of the one of the big lessons we took out of last season was we didn't have enough uh we didn't have as many options as other teams did at the restart we had one or two players who were very good at the restart but what you really want to do is develop everyone so they're they're of equal threat in the air and therefore it's it's a lot harder to defend uh at restart time so those are probably specific areas that are different to 15s that I've I've had to spend a bit of time doing. And then just the way in which I suppose the week's structured and, and how training is structured, where whereas in 15s you might play on a Saturday and players are, are quite sore and you generally rest them or recover them Sunday and Monday, two days of sevens and the warming up and the cooling down and then obviously the playing time takes a pretty big a uh, pretty big chunk out of the players. So mm. we're very limited in terms of the amount of time between tournaments that we can spend. So it might be that we have one one session early in the week that we incorporate recovery into it, but it's very much a, a clarity or a walkthrough session. Mm. And then it might be that you only have one or two rugby sessions after that. And the challenge is to, to look at what happened the previous week and find out, what we did well, what we did wrong, and then looking at your how realistically what can we fix, um, and and trying to work out in terms of the time you've got, your your maximal returns might be from that, and then putting that into practice. So it's uh, it's it's been really interesting, and I think it's obviously sevens is hugely dependent on a high level of skill, and we've got a lot of work to do in that area. I think the catch pass. Um, the identification of space, uh, probably putting uh, our individual skills within a game plan. We, we've got a lot of um, a lot of progress to be made, and um, we'll, we'll continue to do that. But it's it's been really good. I've really enjoyed it, and I think personally, as a coach, you've got to be efficient at coaching the real basics in the game, and and that catch pass, the tackle, the breakdown, the restart, maybe pretty basic skills and, and sometimes overlooked in 15s there. Mm. They're pretty crucial within the sevens game. But at, but at the same time, I, I'm really trying to stay in touch with the 15s game and I certainly don't want to be, wouldn't want to be pigeonholed as a sevens coach like some coaches have been. And I think it's it's really important to keep looking back at 15s and and take trends from 15s into 7s. And I'll be really interested to sort of see how, particularly with the the breakdown laws coming in, mm. how they're interpreted by different coaches and different teams. And, uh, yeah, that'll be interesting to see. Yeah, I think both both games offer offer a lot. And, you know, and I tend to spend most of my time watching 15s. But every time I watch 7s, there's something that pops out to me that's, you know, like you said, it's a it's a different game, really, and 
I think both as coaches both can really really help you. Yeah, definitely, and I, I think it's and it's it's not just rugby. I know you've had a lot of lot of people on your podcasts of late that have talked about um, other sports and taking things from other sports, and I think that's really important. I think there's there's a huge amount that you can cross over into into rugby and bring in into rugby, but certainly the sevens is a very um, I found it a very isolated version of 15s and it's it really puts players into the spotlight in terms of their individual skills yeah. uh, and I think sevens is it's probably become a more specialist sport than it was five ten years ago and players now have to be good at, at everything they can't just be a fetcher and they can't just be a, a good attacking player you really got to have an all-round player and and that's the challenge for for me as a coach and for, for us as coaches in Kenya is rounding off those players to be good all-round players. Yeah, for sure. Um, you mentioned a few of the highlights there of your, of your first year. You're obviously pretty pretty excited about the upcoming season. And last time we chatted, you, you mentioned that for the first time ever, you're actually going to have a pre-season with the guys. Uh, you want to talk a little bit about that and how that's shaping up? Yeah, it's um, uh, there, there are a few challenges in Kenya and... Um, yeah, like, like with most nations, you've got you've got your various challenges. But I think for the last three or four years, players haven't had a preseason, and, and their contract have, contracts have ended in in May after the after the Twickenham Sevens, and then haven't been renewed until probably a month out from the season. Wow. Obviously, there's there's not much you can fit in in a month. But we're fortunate enough this year to have the players contracted uh, as of now, sort of August and. Uh, They've been in doing medicals and everything, so we've now got a, a two three month preseason, which will be brilliant. So we've yeah spent a lot of time planning and uh, a lot of time focusing on you know, what went on in the, in uh, last season and, and how we need to improve and where we need to improve and trying to bring in also some new players into it and, and increase the player pool. And um, next year is quite big in the not just with the World Series, but with the Commonwealth Games and the, the Seven World, Sevens World Cup in San Francisco as well. So it's it's going to be a really full-on year when we start. So the next few months will be great in terms of the preparation time that we're afforded. Yeah, and you mentioned bringing new players in. That, that also must be challenging to develop that kind of identification network in in Kenya. And um, how, how has that worked in the past? What, what's been successful and what are some of the challenges there? Yeah, so we've... I mean, you look at the 15s game in Kenya and you, you go to watch a club match and actually it's it's so unstructured that at times it looks like sevens, uh, which, cool. uh, which is an interesting way of watching it. But actually, as yeah, coaches of a sevens team, you're, it, it's very easy to see <laughs> which of the players could make very, very good sevens players. And uh, the head coach, Innocent uh, Samuyu, who's, who's a, a Kenyan, is fantastic at spotting uh, young players coming through, so we've got a um, we've got a number of players that we 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 keep tags on and we watch um, regularly in the 15s game and then obviously the sevens game as well. So whilst we've got our our core squad at the moment of about 13 players, we'll be inviting different players in to come and spend different amounts of times and and sort of assessing them in terms of their core skills and then trying to I guess trying to introduce what we're how we're trying to play to those players and see how quickly they pick things up and how well they adapt to being put into the that high pressure scenario and 
yeah, last season we we uncovered three or four players that then were exposed to World Series sevens that came through it fantastically well, and and guys like Brian Tanger and Derek Meyer for any for anyone who watches the sevens regularly are really really young guys, but in a very short period of time showed that they could play sevens at that level um, quite quite comfortably. So that was really pleasing to see, and I think certainly one of the highlights that I found in terms of coaching is is when you get young guys and you spend quite a lot of time focusing on various aspect various aspects of their game and and then they show that they can do it in the World Series and I think they've got huge futures and hopefully before now and next July with the Sevens World Cup will have blooded a few more players and um, and the Kenya national team will be in a much stronger position as a result. Uh, sweet, yeah, it's exciting, and um, you know, it's still a while away the the, the sevens season, but um, yeah, I'll be looking forward to seeing uh, seeing how the boys go, and definitely uh, keeping an eye on those those two guys that you mentioned. You're you're just about to hop back on a plane back to Kenya. Uh, you've just had a few a few weeks uh, back in the UK. Did you try and tie in any uh, professional development over that time? And and if if so, what what, what did you go for? Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, obviously our, our season finished in May. I, I then had um, a couple of months back in Kenya. I was still teaching, so school slightly delayed my off-season, but got back to the UK for a few weeks, which was great. And I, Well, I suppose firstly, sort of had a bit of downtime and, and caught up on, on a lot of rugby that I built a bit of a backlog uh, up in, in watching. So I watched a lot of the Super Rugby, watched a lot of the Lions and... Uh, and then spent a lot of time re-watching our performances over the last season. I, I left it for a few weeks and mm. I suppose less, let the dust settle and, and then went back to have a look and to see whether my outlook had, had changed on on what I thought had gone on and, and how we were then going to build that into this upcoming pre-season and season. And, um, so, spent, yeah, as I said, spent a lot of time planning this pre-season, but I've also tried to tried to get about a bit so spent a few days uh, with Bernard Jackman down at Dragons and seeing how he was settling into things down there and um, yeah real eye real eye no, he's you know, obviously settled in very well and um, we'll be really really keen to see how he gets on but I think particularly looking at how how he conveys his message across to a new set of players it's um, although I've been there for a season with new players coming in, I think you've got a very, very small window to try and to try and educate them on how the team plays and picking up various techniques from him and and how he goes about breaking that down and and to I guess bite-sized chunks and, and players to be able to take that on board in a quick amount of time was really, really interesting. Um, I spent a bit of time at Southampton Football Club, which was which was great. Again, picking up various things and. And seeing how that works, um, and I guess just you know, spent a lot. Of, had a few coffees with a few coaches, and uh, just to general catch-ups, and trying to pick things up. And yeah, you know, I, I love talking about rugby and love discussing various aspects of it, and um, you know, trying to get some new opinions and sort of generating a bit of debate and um, sort of picking the brains of various people. So that's no, been good. Trying to trying to read as much as I possibly can, trying to listen to you know, your, your podcast and a number of other podcasts and 
at times it's it's difficult and you you go a couple of weeks without listening to anything so you build up a, a bit of a bank of things you need to get through and uh yeah have have uh have tried to to try to get through as much as i possibly can probably probably the biggest thing i've found that's that's been really uh beneficial is i built up a, about a season and a half worth of coaching journals that i I'd written and um, had jotted down notes, and it's it's very easy as a coach to write things down and quickly assess your sessions, but then actually not going back in and reviewing it. And I know listening to your interview with with Dave Vessels a few weeks ago, his his whole approach to actually video analysing his performance and encouraging his coaches to to do the same, I I thought that was brilliant, and that's certainly something that I'm gonna. Yeah, try and incorporate but I actually the the, the biggest thing I found was I've, I've tried to over the last year or so ask players after sessions and and question players about the session we've done and the, the session that I've done that I've I've run and and ask them various questions about it um yeah pretty pretty simple questions I guess but questions on the message that I was trying to deliver or or whether the session was challenging enough or the key learning that they took out of was, and I've, I've, I wrote, scribbled some notes down of their, of their responses, but hadn't actually paid much attention to it. But I think the last few weeks have been great to go through that and, and see what they said. And, um, and I think it's something that I didn't do initially because I suppose I was a little bit, a little bit nervous as a young coach going in, wanting to, wanting to display those, um, not not weaknesses, but mm, vulnerability sure. or I, I guess so. But I think actually we you know when you're dealing with players who've played yeah three hundred plus sevens matches and have spent a decade on the World Series, you're you're not you, you you're missing a massive opportunity not picking their brains. And I think mm. yeah, fortunate enough that some of the players we we that I'm coaching at the moment have had have got huge amounts of experience. And actually, you can ask those questions and you can use those questions. You know, really beneficially, and it will probably change the way that I coach going forward. Um, you know, you can ask those questions and you can use that feedback, but I think it still falls upon me and and coaches to to know what you're you're doing well enough and know what you're talking about inside and out. And, and I try and spend a lot of my, a lot of my time learning about what I'm doing and the message that I'm going through so that when when I'm delivering a session you deliver it with confidence and to clarity and conviction but at the same time being able to you know say I don't know something or being able to admit that you know you want someone's opinion on something or you want a player's feedback on a session so one of the discussions I had last year with with our head coach was actually Around Kenyan culture, particularly in rugby, questioning doesn't come particularly natural from players, and players are, are very prone to staying quiet. So it might be that we're having a team meeting and you say any questions or you ask a question, uh, a player for his opinion, and, and they stay very quiet. And one of the things we're trying to do is, is real, really promote questioning and, and get questioning as part of our culture because I think as soon as you do that, you're probably the player buy-in uh, increases and, and, and players' understanding of what they're doing and, and what we're trying to achieve goes up. So in terms of me 
not being a role model, but but leading that questioning and in, in asking the players, and it, it's something I try and do on a one-to-one basis if I'm with a player and, and constantly try and ask questions and and you know, what are your thoughts on this or what were you what was your thought process here on this clip or what did you see in this scenario that made you uh, make that decision? By hopefully by me asking those questions, it will it will sort of increase players' comfortability in terms of them asking questions as well because it's something we've improved on, but we've got a long way to go um, in trying to create that culture where players do feel comfortable enough to ask questions and and share opinions. Yeah, it sounds it sounds really similar to what uh, Damien McGrath mentioned in in the chat I have with him with coaching Samoa is that there's those cultural kind of boundaries where you know the the adult or the the authority figure they're they're the ones who you listen to no questions asked kind of thing but that must be quite the challenge to try and uh reverse like a generation of that um in in one year so definitely a build on for you for sure no doubt no definitely not yeah i mean it's yeah, Damien said I've spoken to him about it um, yeah, personally as well. I think you're right in terms of that's that's the Kenyan uh, mentality. They're extremely respectful play, uh, people. Uh, they're extremely polite. They're extremely quiet around not people of authority, but but coaches and that sort of thing. But uh, it's probably even more so from the from the rugby. Um, from my experiences in rugby, I think coaching and, and teaching children at school, and I teach children up to the age of 13, but actually as soon as you invest a bit of interest in, in, a, in a young child or invest a bit of interest in what they think, ask them questions, ask them to offer their opinions, you can almost see in the way they react, their, their buy-in and their interest in, in what you have to say goes through the roof. and. Mm. I think it's it, that uh, ability to to make people feel valued, and and yeah, we're, we're I'm certainly exactly the same. As soon as you feel valued, you and you feel like you've got a bit of a buy into something, your interest and your ability to contribute goes up massively. And I think certainly that questioning is a is a tool I'm trying to use as much as I can in in my coaching. For sure, awesome. All right, well, we always end the uh, show with the same four questions. Uh, when, when you were a kid growing up in England, uh, who, was, who was one of the players that you looked up to and uh, really respected and wanted, wanted to emulate a little bit? Yeah, probably, uh, I'd have to say Johnny Wilkinson. I was, um, I was 12 or 12, 13 when, when England won the World Cup and he was just the ultimate role model uh, in terms of his attitude, in terms of his his approach to training and his, um, he also put, put the team first, which I think is a really, really important message with, with many of the, um, with many role models that sort of in the current day, you, it's quite tough to find someone who is the sort of all round package. And I think he very much was. And I, yeah, listened to every possible interview with him, every newspaper column that was written about him and every match he played and, and, tried to emulate him and he was a yeah fantastic role model so yeah definitely say Johnny cool yeah well I, you said that last time and you mentioned the World Cup last time I'd, I'd hoped you would have changed that uh, for this interview but that's fine no problems we'll we'll go with that um, what about now who are some players uh, going around that you like watching um, yeah from, from 15s I, re- I really enjoy watching Michael Hooper 
Yeah. Uh, not just saying that to, to make up my last answer. <laughs> uh, I think Michael Hooper's uh, he's first and foremost an outstanding player and he's someone I, I really enjoy watching because he, he punches above his weight. He's he, he expresses a lot of character on the pitch and uh, he's also really consistent and certainly watching you know watching the Waratahs this year in a team that massively underperformed he was the the one player that every single week would mm. would step up and would be head and shoulders above the rest and I think I love that segment of him being mic'd up in in one of the Super 15 games and oh sorry Super Rugby games and and listening to his leadership on the pitch yeah, it's fantastic, uh, wasn't it? Oh, it was, it's brilliant. It was, you know, loved the way that he did it, and it looked like it, you know, wasn't forced. It was coming really, really naturally to him, and we'll be really interested to see how he gets on with the with the Wallabies captaincy. But then, probably from the sevens game, the one player that I I love watching or loved watching was Roscoe Speckman, who's mm. uh, one of the South African playmakers, and I can yeah say it through a slightly. Um, yeah, slightly forced answer, but he was an absolute nightmare to to play against. And every time we came up against South Africa, it was it was nigh on impossible to try and put together a, a defensive plan to to keep him at bay. But he's he's one of those players that was brilliant to watch. Um, ability to you know score from nothing was was exceptional. But he was also you know, alluded to alluded to earlier this sort of hybrid sevens player. He was also extremely good in defence, um, was a real threat at the breakdown. And, uh, yeah, he, he you know, won a lot of games. Uh, although he was in a very good South African team, he, he won a lot of games with some individual brilliance. So really enjoyed watching him. Yeah, he's pretty special. And they got some really special players on that South African seven side, uh, for sure. And, yeah, and that Michael Hooper video, I'll try and dig that up and put it on my website because, yeah, it's it's awesome. Um, just the, the way he talks to the players and, um, you can you can see it's it's genuine and he, he cares a lot about the the team's performance and the guys around him. Um, yeah, so I'll try and dig that one up. Uh, what about coaches? Who's a who's a high level coach you you respect and like what they're doing? Yeah, um, Sir Gordon Titchens. He's um, even before I got into the sevens game, I I used to love reading about him and, uh, and listening to some of the podcasts he'd been on or some of the YouTube videos. He's he was um, obviously coached the All Black Sevens team for over two decades, and he's now coaching Samoa. And he, his records unbelievable. He, you know, ten World Series and like four or five Commonwealth Games gold medals, and he's taken I think it's somewhere over forty players and made them into All Blacks into the Fifteens game. And and I think uh, listening to him, his He's a pretty ruthless coach, and he's he's uncompromising. But the I suppose what the, the thing I really really respect about him is his hunger and his consistency. And he hasn't just had one or two good years; he's had two decades of success. And um, it's yeah, I've, I've you know been in awe of him over the last year, and I've had the opportunity now to coach against him. And um, he's uh, he he loves a coffee and. So do I. So I've had a couple of coffees with him and have, have picked his brains and tried to sort of appear like I'm not a not a competition winner interviewing him. But I've I've uh, yeah loved seeing him in in action and um, think he's an outstanding coach. Ah, oh, cool, awesome. And what about uh, 
someone in the grassroots of the game who's who's chipping away and and uh, working really hard that you feel deserves a shout out. Um, yeah, I've got to two guys. Uh, first one was a guy Nick Greswell, who was who was my first fifteen coach at at school. Um, and really, he had a massive impact on me. Fostered the love of the game in in me, I think, in many respects, and mm. and also gave me my first opportunity in coaching in the year I had out of playing and invited me back and and gave me a lot of responsibility. But as a coach, he's um, he, he's one of those coaches who's got the ability to put a lot of trust in players, even at school level and 17, 18 year olds. And he gives players responsibility and gives players sort of control of the team, but whilst always maintaining control and uh, overseeing everything and, and having that final say. And he was someone we, respected massively at school and I, I chat to him fairly regularly now and I think he's a he's a brilliant coach he's just headed back up to into North England and I think we'll be back involved with with Newcastle Falcons in their community programs there awesome it's a it's a brilliant coach and the other one uh, is a guy Chris Brown who coached me in my last year as a player at Taunton Titans he's um he's a forwards coach and was just the most enthusiastic guy on the training pitch. Um, and, and that enthusiasm rubbed off on everyone. He loved what he was doing. He was, uh, I'm pretty sure he was not all there in the, in the head. He was crazy <laughs> in terms of his methods. He, he, but he just loved it. And I, I think the thing that struck me most about him was um, his ability to, to really instill a, a positive approach on everything we did and and even the players that weren't selected uh in a in a match day squad or, or that week he'd give them more attention than the guys that were selected so you know, i remember being sat down and being told i wasn't playing but he'd then done a, a five minute presentation on either my previous game the the, the week and it really individualized and and would then work with you massively hard on your your one-on-one work-ons or after the session or before the session. And I think it's it's a real challenge as a coach to keep everyone positive and, mm. and the guys who aren't playing. It's 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 a real challenge to to keep them motivated and keep them working towards something. And that's something now that as an assistant coach, I think I'm in a in a good position to. I, I don't have overall say on the team and therefore I can go back to players who aren't involved and, and show them a bit of a bit of care and a bit of credit for what they are doing and try and get mm. them into the starting team. And he did it brilliantly and I'm you know, I've I've spent a lot of time thinking back to what he did and, and carrying on some of those techniques. Yeah, that's great. That's a awesome way to end the show and it's always one of the tougher things of coaching is uh Telling telling a player that they're not actually going to play uh, that weekend. So yeah, good, get some good lessons there, for, and thanks for sharing it. So yeah, all, all the best with uh, getting back to Kenya and uh, prepping the the guys for the the HSBC season. Uh, I now have uh, three favourite teams: uh, Australia, Canada, and Kenya. So uh, I'll be I'll be supporting uh, you guys over there. And uh, yeah, thanks thanks again for coming on for a chat. Brilliant. Thanks, Andy. No, thank you very much for having me. Yeah, no worries. Awesome. Cheers. Thanks for listening to the Rugby Coaches Corner Podcast.
if you enjoyed the show, please leave a review via iTunes and keep listening for the next episode. You can also follow us on Twitter at RugbyCoachSCNR or via the website at TheRugbyCoachesCorner.com. Until next time, keep sharing ideas to make the game better.